You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our weekly AIB Market Update on Tuesday the 16th of June. I'm Paul Ward from our Customer Treasury Unit and I'm joined this week by AIB's Chief Economist Oliver Mangan to discuss recent volatility in financial markets and we'll give particular attention to Brexit after the EU formally accepted that the UK will not seek an extension to the transition period which expires at the end of the year. Good morning, Ollie. If I can start with the risk markets, you mentioned in the weekly market brief, which customers can find available on the Epic Centre website, that risk markets are due a correction after major gains posted in the last three months. Firstly, why is this the case and what is your assessment of the recent performance of the financial markets? Well, I think we're saying that markets were due a correction because stock markets in particular have made substantial gains since mid-February. And in particular, in the period since mid-May, there's been very strong gains, including by European markets. So what we've seen over the past week is a correction set into markets. We've seen days when you know stock prices have fallen quite sharply, widening credit spreads. I said this is not surprising given the extent of the gains that, that have been made since the middle of March. I think what's triggered this is, one, concerns about a rise in the number of new cases in the parts of the US, and secondly, a fresh outbreak in China and Beijing. And then secondly, and you know, not unassociated, quite a sober assessment of the outlook for the U.S. economy last week from the Fed. You know, Chairman Powell was saying it's a long road ahead in terms of the economic recovery. He noted in particular that it would take a number of years for the U.S. to regain the 20 million jobs net that they've lost since mid-February. The forecast is that the unemployment rate in the U.S. will, by the end of 2022, so that's two and a half years' time, will still be at 5.5%. I mean, going into this crisis or before the virus struck, the unemployment rate is at 3.5%. And I suppose added to that, then we had a downbeat assessment of global growth prospects for the OECD. That's published in its mid-year biannual economic outlook. And it's forecasting a sharp decline in world GDP this year, between 6 and 7.5%. Now, that's not overly surprising. We know there's going to be a major contraction in output in the first half of the year, particularly in the second quarter. But they're warning that the recovery will be hesitant. There's a, a usually high degree of uncertainty around the economic outlook, partly associated that we don't know the course of the virus. But I think the point the OECD was making, the IMF has made this point as well, is even next year, even though growth will bounce back, we're only going to see a partial recovery in developed economies in terms of economic activity. And what they mean by that is, you know, growth won't recover all the ground lost in 2020 next year. Judging by even the, opti- the most optimistic scenario that the OECD published, GDP will still be 3% below its levels in 2019 next year. And I suppose that really echoes the sentiment or comments from the Federal Reserve that we may be reaching the bottom of the downturn here and data may begin to improve but a warning sign that it's a long road ahead in terms of the economic recovery and it will take some time in terms of years for output to fully recover, for labour markets to fully recover, for unemployment to get down to the levels that it was at before the virus struck. So you mentioned, Ollie, there, I suppose, from the Fed and the OECD assessments of growth and, and obviously concerns of a second wave of COVID-19 as we move into, into H2. Therefore, that's going to make it very difficult for markets to predict what the performance will be like. However, my sense is that, and this is where I want to get a comment from you on, my sense is that central banks will continue with their policy actions to fuel recovery and growth. And obviously, this Thursday, we have the Bank of England. So yeah. what can we expect from, say, the Bank of England? Well, you're, you're right in regard to, I suppose, the markets and central banks and governments very committed to fueling the economic recovery. And that's why we're going to see, I think, a lot of volatility in markets in the second half of the year. 
because on the one hand, we know there's ample liquidity in the system, and we're talking about the Bank of England. It's going to do more in that regard in the coming week. We saw the big increase in quantitative easing from the ECB last week, yeah. two weeks ago, and the Fed last week said it is strongly committed to, committed to using all its tools and to do whatever we can and for as long as it's required for recovery to take hold. And then we've obviously additional fiscal stimulus coming from various governments. And at the same time, we have this uncertain economic outlook. We have the ultimate uncertainty caused by developments in regards to the coronavirus, fresh cases, new waves, etc. So this is a very volatile period, I think, ahead for markets, particularly yeah. as they've recovered from their you know, very low levels of, of mid-March, has seen strong gains over the last three months, but concerns about the economic outlook. So you have those two forces working against each other. Yeah. You have the ample liquidity, you have the policy supports, but you have the economic uncertainty and difficulties in terms of bringing the coronavirus outbreak under control, concerns about a second wave, etc. So you mentioned the Bank of England. I mean, we've had this is the third of the major central bank meetings uh, at the Fed last week very committed to ongoing support for economies. We had the additional quantitative easing announced by the ECB the previous week. And the week ahead, the Bank of England meets on Thursday, and the expectation there is that they will increase the size of the asset pool or quantitative easing, the, the amount of purchasing do in terms of bonds, etc. So injecting more liquidity into the system. There have been some speculation that they could move towards negative interest rates. Now, that the official rate is at 0.4%. There's no expectation that there will lower rates on Thursday. But what markets are pricing that at some stage they may reduce rates from 0.1% to 0%. They haven't actually priced in the Bank of England moving towards negative interest rates. So I think the focus on Thursday will be probably as much as a hundred billion increase in the size of the quantitative easing program. And as with the ECB a couple of weeks ago, indicating that they will maintain this program for a considerable period of time. Uh, the ECB has committed to going to all the way to the middle of next year or further if necessary. So I think the focus is very much on quantitative easing, the asset purchase, keeping long-term interest rates low, allowing governments to be able to borrow money at very, very low interest rates. And in that regard, I mean, we saw a remarkable event here last week when the Irish, the NTMA, the Irish government agency, launched a new 10-year bond. It was hoping to raise three, four, five billion. It actually got bids of seventy billion from the markets, and I think that was that bond issued. I think it was it was an interest rate around a quarter percent or zero point three percent. Yeah, very low interest rate. But the amount of money that was bid was seventy billion available to buy those yeah. bonds. So in the end, I think the NTMA issued five or six billion. So even here, even though we're looking at a very large budget deficit this year, uh, we're in June. The, the authorities have already raised a lot of those funds at an interest rate of around a quarter percent or 0.3%. Can I, can I ask then, like in terms of the three central banks that you mentioned, it, it's obviously lower for longer. And, and that's kind of a consistent yeah. message that we're seeing across all three now, is it? It is indeed. Yeah. And it's very much a focus. We've done what we're going to do on interest rates. So they're at 0.1% in the States and in the UK. They may go to zero. And the, what the ECB has done is maintained its negative interest rates at minus a half percent. But in terms of the additional support, it's very much around ensuring the sufficient liquidity in the system, quantitative easing, keeping long-term interest rates low. Yeah. So whether it's corporates who are buying on the markets or governments, that they can do so at very, very low interest yeah. rates. And this also helps keep mortgage rates down, etc. Yeah. So this is a key policy instrument. And added to that, we have the ongoing expansion of fiscal policy and obviously the new government uh, coming to the fore here very much committed to a fiscal stimulus getting people back to work in the second half of the year that's no different to the uk the us germany across the eurozone so we have these powerful i suppose the stance of policy 
of economic policy is very expansionary. And you know, that is supporting markets, but yet at the same time, they're concerned about the economic uncertainty, which markets always hate, and the fact that it's you know it is a major effort to get this coronavirus under control and we fresh outbreaks or pick up new cases in the States and what have you. I certainly think stock markets are going to remain very, very volatile. Yeah. Ali, if I can move the conversation to Brexit just for a few minutes. This week, Boris Johnson seeking to galvanise Brexit talks with EU chiefs. However, undoubtedly, Brussels have warned on a number of occasions that we've seen that they will not sacrifice the bloc's economic interests for the sake of a deal. How do you see this week playing out? And I suppose more importantly, what is the likelihood of a deal happening by the end of the year? Yeah, well, obviously, Boris Johnson was in contact with the head of the Charles Michel, who's the head of the Council of Ministers. He's also head of, in contact with the head of the European Commission. And what they're doing there is trying to accelerate the negotiations. The next rounds are due to take place in July. So I think, OK, it was no great surprise that the UK indicated that it would not seek an extension. But they're also in June reviewing their position and they've decided it's worthwhile in terms of continuing the negotiations that a deal is possible, mm. uh, but they want to accelerate the process of the talks process. So we'll have intensive negotiations in July and I suspect you know, the European Commission shuts down for August. They'll resume in September, October. So I think both sides want to do a deal. There have been signs of some movement. There was positive negotiations on Friday in relation to progressing how Northern Ireland would trade with the rest of mainland Great Britain. Yeah. Michel Barney has indicated that the EU would move on state aids. Give the EU, I know they're talking about a level playing field, but that may not extend out to state aids. That's a big issue for the UK that wants to be able to help its industries from the that given that it's left the EU and not be bound by EU state aid rules. Now, to some extent, they've been suspended anyway because of the COVID-19 situation and various countries are supporting their industries, be it their, for example, the airline industries, yeah. etc. So that's progress. So I think, and, and you know, there is a, a lot of disagreement about the need for regulatory alignment, but one way around that is, I mean, the, the EU wants the UK to abide by certain rules but the uk wants the ability to set its own rules one way around that is to set minimum rules and they all agree on that and then the uk can set its own rules after that yeah so it's going to take time it's not going to be a smooth process yeah. the talks have proved difficult up to now and you can see the movement of sterling has been volatile even though it's within small ranges the ebb and flow of news in regard to brexit negotiations has been moving the currency but at least they're still talking it's moved to a senior political level yeah they've agreed to accelerate the talks process in july there's been some movement on both sides. So I think we're probably looking at a deal towards the end of the year. Now, it's absolutely true to say that there isn't much time left to yeah. seal a deal and yeah. get into the details. So maybe a minimal or bare bones okay. trap and change deal. Yeah. And what that would mean was that there'll be no tariffs and there'll be no quotas. But it may be just for goods. Uh, it may not extend to services. And it will, for the UK, it would be a very poor relation of what the current single market ranges are. So for people who are trading with the UK, you're going to have to fill in your customs forms in the system. If there's no customs duties to be paid, there will be rules of origin. So there's going to be a lot more paperwork, a lot more bureaucracy yep. in today's reports. But you won't be, if we get a trade deal, I think that would avoid the imposition of tariffs. It would avoid the imposition of quotas in terms of the much, how much yep. the UK and the EU can trade with each other. But it may not go much beyond that. But at least we'd have a trade deal. We would avoid falling back to WTO rules, which means tariffs would have to be imposed, etc. Okay. The last thing I just want to cover at all is just uh, in relation to the currencies. Euro sterling, uh, you've mentioned a few things there in terms of central banks and Brexit, etc. And they all obviously create event risk for the currencies this week in particular. But Euro sterling for the last two and a half months or so, it's in that very tight range of 87 to 90p, where Euro dollar 
it's up a little bit and around the kind of 112, 113 level comparable maybe over the last couple of months. But again, it, it is in a, in a small enough range. And that average for the year is about 110 so yeah. far. Just, what's your thoughts really, I suppose, this week for the currencies? Well, I was I was talking about the financial markets and the stock market has been so volatile and that volatility is likely to persist. The narrow ranges, which the main currencies have been trading in, and it goes back, I mean, the euro dollar has been between 107 and 115 since I think the third quarter, fourth quarter 2018. Yeah. That is a very narrow trading range for such a long period of time. In circumstances where we've seen a major recession descend on top of the world economy, yeah. massive actions by central banks, and yet currencies remain within very, very narrow ranges. And even you say sterling, okay, it got down to 83, 84p back towards the end of last year with the UK election, signing off the withdrawal agreement, etc. But it's back to that range of 88 to 90, 91p that we saw for much of last year. And it has been within a very narrow range. And to be honest with you, I think currencies generally will remain within narrow ranges because all central banks are loosening policies. All central banks do quantitative easing. All governments are expanding fiscal policy and increasing their budget deficits. And interest rates are going nowhere. I mean, that's a clear yeah. message for central banks. Interest rates are going nowhere over the next three or four years. So investors are standing there and saying, well, it's very hard to pick a currency in those sort of circumstances. Obviously, sterling is a bit unique in terms of the impact Brexit can have in negotiations. So it has, you know, the euro has risen against sterling this year. That's no great surprise given the uncertainty that's around the Brexit negotiations. But at the same time, it, it's found it hard to rise above 90 on a sustained basis. So I do think that currencies are likely to remain range-bound. That has been the behaviour for nearly two years at this stage for the main exchange rates. And the rule of thumb within that is when markets are risk-off or volatile, you can expect uh, within those narrow ranges for the dollar, the yen and the Swiss franc to strengthen. And then when markets are more buoyant mood yep. and uh, strengthening, the euro, sterling, the Aussie dollar, Canadian dollar are the currencies to strengthen in that regard. But still within narrow ranges. Yeah, so but it, so then just to finish then, your, your sense would be if there was a second wave of COVID-19, God forbid, then we're probably likely to see the dollar probably strengthen again as yeah. markets become risk off. Correct. You could see the euro uh, certainly fall back below 110 and maybe head back down to 107, 108. Yeah. And then if markets strengthen again, the euro rises back up towards 114, 115. I, I think... Obviously, the dollar remains and the yen remain at very high levels, historically speaking. But it's interesting to note that the euro has certainly failed to get above, let's say, 120 against the dollar, only for a very short period in this, at the start of 2018, since 2014. Yeah. That's when the eurozone moved to negative interest rates, yeah. and they're going to remain in play. But the dollar remains at very, very high levels, so why would it go further higher? in circumstances where you have increasing cases in the US and various states, etc., of the coronavirus. So I think given we've come through such a period of, of volatility in financial markets, a major global recession, and very, very aggressive action from central banks, and currency markets have largely remained range-bound, we don't see them moving out of those ranges yeah. in the near term. It would take some time, I think, for clear economic patterns to emerge right. that might drive monetary policy down the road, etc. So range trading, I think, remains the game for the next number of months, and volatile stock markets as well. Yep, and we'll keep our eye out for how the Brexit negotiations go. Ollie, many thanks for the update, and a big thanks to our customers, colleagues and listeners for joining us on this week's podcast. To stay up to date with the latest market developments, please subscribe to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. And for those customers impacted by the pandemic, you can find details of AIB support packages at aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. Thank you very much.
Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.